0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Andrew's Personal Testimony, Part 1. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. Today I would like to share my personal testimony with you. And I am called to be a teacher to the body of Christ. Nearly everything I do is just teaching Scripture. And so I, I never have really given my personal testimony and put it on tape. I give a lot of explanations, and I use personal experiences, and and people benefit from that well, and it's received well. But again, because of my desire to just teach the Word of God, I seldom have ever really given an in-depth account of what God has done in my life, and yet I think that there is a benefit to it. I've had a lot of people ask me about how God touched me, and I believe that it could be beneficial. I know that in my own life and in my own development, as I begin to seek the Lord, that testimonies are the things that changed me more than anything else. Now, they didn't change me as far as giving me the revelation that God has shown me and things like that, but it changed me as far as opening me up, opening me up to new attitudes, to new values, etc. Because the system that I was brought up in had a very rigid doctrinal statement, and it was taught and expounded very well. And, I mean, I was grounded into the Baptist religion. And when it came to hearing about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and about miracles, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, etc., our doctrinal statement closed me to that. And if somebody would have approached me on on a totally doctrinal standpoint, I would have rejected it. And yet, I began to hear people's testimonies. People's testimonies that it was evident that they loved Jesus. And I heard them begin to talk about things, and then their experience... Uh, I couldn't base my life on an experience. A testimony is not something that you base a doctrine on. It's not something that you base your whole life on or change your life based on a testimony. But when I heard these people's testimony, I knew that they were glorifying God with what they were doing. I knew that the results of these changes were positive results. It brought them closer to God. It conformed to everything that was scriptural. And Even though I couldn't harmonize it with my doctrine, I guarantee you at that experience that people shared began to start making me question. It got me to seeking God. God is there more. And through these testimonies, they made a tremendous impact on my life. The scripture says in Revelation chapter 12 that Satan was cast down to the earth and it says that the believers overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And of course, that's applying to more than just their personal experience. It could just apply to confessing the word in a personal way, but it also is applying to what has happened to them. And so this is a powerful way of being a witness of what God has done. I used to feel that I didn't even have a testimony. As a matter of fact, when I was younger in the Lord, I was ashamed to give my testimony because the church that I was brought up in, uh, they would have people testify, but it was always somebody like Nicky Cruz, somebody who was a gang leader and had been on drugs and had been the uh, whole route into Satanism and all of these things, and then they get miraculously saved. And the contrast in their testimony was just so dramatic that it left people just awestruck with what God could do in a life. And that was always the kind of testimony that I heard, and my testimony is totally opposite that. And I honestly felt like that in comparison, based on the experience that I'd ever had with people's testimony, that I didn't have a testimony. I was ashamed of it. And I remember that when I was in Vietnam, I was witnessing to a man who was a sergeant, and I'd been telling him about the Lord and about what other people had experienced. I was giving him testimonies of things that I was hearing, etc. And he says, well, what's God done in your life? How did you get born again? And I told him, well, I was born again when I was very young, and I, but I sidestepped the issue. And after a week or two of this, finally, he just nailed me one time and said, did you or did you not get saved? How did it happen to you? I want to hear your testimony. And so I just had to share with him how I was born again, and I shared it, and what happened and To my surprise, I thought he'd make fun of me as being a prude as having never done anything, and uh how could I witness to him I didn't know anything about life I was su- grew up in such a vacuum, etc But to my surprise, this sergeant fell down, and I mean he just he had tears in his eyes, and he says that's the greatest thing I've ever heard." He says, that is a miracle that God could keep you from going into some of the things that I've been into and other people have been into. And I begin to start recognizing that my testimony had a place. It really is a testimony today of what God can keep you from, not just what he can save you out of. And also, as I'll give my testimony on this tape, uh, you'll find that the thing that God really did in my life was redeem me and ransom me from religion. I was born again at a very young age, but then I became very religious. I came into the system, and I just became a part of it. I was dead and lifeless and dried up. And one of the greatest things that happened in my life was when God supernaturally lit a fire in my heart and changed me from just that old dead religion. And now that is really the thrust of my testimony. And even my teaching, what God's called me to do and everything... Uh, is reflecting that. It's all geared towards Christians trying to motivate them and get them to where they can live and the abundant life that Jesus intended them to have. And so when God changed my life, I found out that, you know, there are more people experiencing this uh, dull, lifeless Christianity than there are who have been out like Nikki Cruz and have been mob members or gang leaders and have murdered and killed and done all of that. Now, that is a tremendous testimony and there's certainly a place for that. But actually, more people can relate to my testimony just being a religious, uh, dried-up, lifeless Christian than they can somebody else. And so I've come to realize that my testimony really does have a place, and uh, so I share it that way, uh, realizing that you can't base a doctrine on it, but yet it may be a blessing just to see what God's done in my life. I won't share everything. I'm just going to try and highlight some things. I was born at a very young age, and it would take me... uh, long time to share everything that happened, just I'm sure as it would you. But I was born in Marshall, Texas, April the 30th, 1949, and we only lived there for two years. When I was two years old, we moved from Marshall, Texas to Arlington, Texas, and we moved to a house that was a mile outside of the city limits. Now it's approximately 20 miles inside the city limits. When we moved there in 1952, there was only uh, less than 6,000 people in the town, and now there's over two hundred and fifty thousand or something similar to that. And it's uh just amazing how it's grown. But we lived kind of out in the country, had a very nice house. My father was um vice president of Century Life Insurance Company in Fort Worth, Texas, and had a very good income. My mother was a school teacher, taught in the same grade school that I grew up in, in the sixth grade I was right across the hall from her and in uh the class opposite hers. And so I grew up there, and my parents were uh, tremendous parents. They loved me, and I had an older brother and older sister. I'm the youngest of three children. And we were loved. We were always brought up in the things of the Lord as much as they knew. Uh, As I go on in this testimony, you'll find out that the Baptist church that I was brought up in I believe, ministered some things that became big hindrances to me, and God certainly had to renew my mind. But at the same time, they provided a basic foundation. And one good thing about the Baptist church was that they did teach some fundamentals of the Word, and I mean they hammered them home. They were very strong on preaching the Word. Now, they didn't preach all of it, and they even preached against certain things that now God is using me to teach for. But the few things that they did teach that were good and foundational uh, provided a good foundation for me that God has certainly used, and I praise God for those good things. At the age of eight years old, uh, God supernaturally convicted me of my sins. And I mean, it was something that I knew that I had sinned against the Lord. And it wasn't because I'd been out living a terrible life. I, like I said, I was only eight years old. But it was a conviction from God. Uh, one of the mistakes that people make in coming to the Lord is that they they uh, look at themselves in comparison to other people. And many times they'll say, well, I'm better than this person, and I'm better than some of these people down there at church. I'm sure all of us have heard somebody say something about, well, if those hypocrites down at church make it, I'll make it. And the only thing wrong with that is that the hypocrites at church may not make it, and that's not the proper standard of comparison. And so many times people, if their life is good and moral, it's really hard for them to see their need for God. But at eight years old, God supernaturally convicted me and showed me that I needed a Savior. There was a series of events that happened, but it kind of culminated on a Sunday morning in this home church in Arlington, Texas, and the pastor was preaching on hell. And anyway, as he talked about that, and that if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, that you'll die and go to hell. I mean, God really brought some things together, showed me that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. Well, I went home from church that day. I didn't respond because I didn't understand everything that was being said. But when I got home, I talked to my dad, I asked him about it, and praise God, he could tell that God was dealing with me, that I was under conviction, and so he took about an hour or two after church and just began to talk to me, explain things, and it was the fear of God, the fear of going to hell, in this sermon that I heard, that got my attention. But the thing that really brought repentance in my life and caused me to to, uh, commit my life to the Lord was my father. And he began to just tell me about the goodness of God and the love of God and tell me that it what God didn't want to send me to hell but that he was just and holy and that if I didn't accept his payment for sin which was Jesus suffering for me then I'd have to suffer for myself. But if I would accept it that he would totally forgive me he would wipe away all my sins I could be completely forgiven. And I remember this was right in the entrance to my bedroom. Uh, it was in the springtime of 1957. And the Lord was dealing with me I felt miserable I felt guilty I felt condemned I felt all of these things even though I've never said a cuss word in all my life I've never smoked a cigarette in all of my life I've never taken a drink of liquor in all of my life I've lived a totally separate life even before this time when I was eight years old but see God gave me a supernatural revelation and I knew that I was a sinner who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell it wouldn't matter if I was better than somebody else all of sin come short of the glory of God I recognized my need for a Savior, and so I repented. Uh, Right there as my father ministered to me, I got born again. That heaviness left, and immediately the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, all of those things began to produce in my life, and I just knew that I was saved. It was such a real experience with me that I was in the third grade, and when I went to school the next week, I think that happened on a Sunday, And on Monday when I went to school in the third grade, I remember people making fun of me and saying something about, Boy, what happened to you? Because I was different. Even though, again, like I say, I didn't come out of a terrible lifestyle, I really did commit my life to the Lord. It was a noticeable uh, change in my life. It was a commitment that I really meant with all of my heart, and it was a sincere experience. I was born again when I was eight years old, and it was manifest even to my friends. They knew that something had happened. From that time on i began to seek the lord and i really desired the things of the lord but i didn't have much access to any help or anybody that was teaching me the denomination that i was brought up in believed that once you were born again that basically all that there was to do was just tell somebody else about what happened and help get them born again they really emphasized evangelism but they didn't minister to the saints very much Uh, Once you got born again, you never had to go to church again because they just preached salvation every Sunday. Every sermon was another way of approaching the subject of salvation, and they tried to get people born again in the church service, which as far as that went, that was good, but it never did mature and grow up the saints. And so you had a a whole church full of immature born-again people who were not effective enough to be able to reproduce and lead somebody else to the Lord. So about, the only way you saw people born again was through the church services. You would invite them to church, and they'd come there and get born again. Well, that's what began to happen to me. And I really did love the Lord with all of my heart, but I simply didn't know the things of God. I didn't know how to respond to Him. I didn't know how to seek Him. I was continually told that I was supposed to seek Him, that I was supposed to live a holy life, and I was supposed to please God and do all of these things, but I didn't know how to do it. So anyway, from the time until I was eight, until I was 18... I really love the Lord, and that love for God kept me from going into some of the things that all of my friends did. It kept me out of a lot of trouble. I just recently was at a 20-year class reunion, high school class reunion, and I saw some of those people that I grew up with, and it brought back a lot of memories about how uh when I was in grade, grade school, some of my very best friends that were very close to me, uh, when Uh as we started into junior high and high school, my relationship just kind of fell off, and I really didn't have much to do with them, and I didn't think about it then, but in retrospect, as I was looking at it here this last week at this class reunion, the reason that these relationships broke off is because some of these best friends begin to start going out and drinking. They begin to start cussing. They begin to start running with the wrong crowd and doing things that were totally contrary to my commitment to the Lord, and I just began to drop off. And actually, the only friends that I really had in school were people from the church. It was people that our fellowship actually was in church, and we just continued it at school. And I was uh, a misfit. I was not in on the inner circle of any of those things that happened in school. And it was all because of this commitment to the Lord. In my heart, I've always been seeking the Lord, but it certainly was not uh, given any real channel to flow in. It was just kind of, it was very frustrating. I used to say it this way that I was saved and stuck I was saved from my sins I was saved out of the world I wouldn't enter into that but I also wasn't taught the word and so therefore I didn't enter into the things of God so I was saved and stuck in some ways I was more miserable than the people who were out living in the world and weren't born again because they at least were out there enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season And they were under the deception of thinking they were having a good time. I knew I wasn't having a good time. I wasn't into the things of God close enough to really receive the benefit of my salvation the way I should. And I wasn't enjoying the things of the world. And I really did feel like a total misfit. I became introverted because of it. When I was around my good friends, family, or the people at church, uh, I was a leader. And I could lead people and I could do things like that. But when I was around somebody... Outside of those people that I'd made good friends with, I was so introverted that I couldn't look at a person and talk to him. I'd get fearful. Uh, I remember trying to talk to girls in high school and uh, just getting so uh, embarrassed that I'd get tongue-tied. I'd always say the wrong thing. I remember this one girl who was a cheerleader and real popular and everything, and we were in choir one day, and she came over and asked me how to spell something. And I just got so nervous around her. I looked at her and I said, "Well, I, I I never did smell good." And I meant to say "spell good," but I said "smell good," and that made me even more embarrassed. And anyway, I went, She wound up just walking off laughing. I just couldn't seem to react uh, to people, and it was because I didn't know who I was in the Lord. I didn't. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be like the world. We constantly heard preaching about being of the world and not being worldly and things like that. But I didn't, I knew what not to be, but I didn't know exactly what to be. And there really was a lot of frustration in my life. When I was 12 years old, my father died. And he died from a prolonged illness. I don't remember the exact time. Uh, All of this is from a 12 year old's perspective. But I think it was like six months that he had been in the hospital. And uh, he had been in a coma. And my mother was a schoolteacher. She took a leave from school, and she stayed with him nearly constantly. And I actually, my brother and I, actually uh, stayed with some friends, an elderly couple, and I lived with them for a number of months. And during that time, I was in the sixth grade. i just turned 12, just a few days uh, before my father died. And during that period of time, I was really confused. I'd, I was staying with these other people. I was praying for my father to be healed. Our church didn't preach healing, but they, you know, talked about God and God can do anything. And so I was desperate, and so I asked God to heal my father, and I actually believed it to a degree. And I was kind of expecting it. And I was real frustrated about why things were continuing the way they are. And it was just about, I think it was Easter Sunday morning, the pastor came over to our house, and my mother wasn't there. She had been at the hospital all night with my father. And he came over and um, sat my brother and I down and told us that the Lord had taken my father home and that uh, his explanation was that, well, God must have needed our father more than we needed him. And so credited it all with God that it was God saw fit to take my father home and that he had died. Well, it didn't set right with me, but I didn't, again, I didn't rebel at it. I didn't get bitter towards God or any of those kind of things. Matter of fact, at the funeral, we sang songs of victory. My father's uh, favorite song was uh, How Great Thou Art, and this same pastor sang that at the funeral, and people got blessed and touched, and uh, it was really a kind of a rejoicing funeral because we knew that my father knew the Lord that he was born again. He had been the chairman of the deacons, which did not mean that he was born again, but he was serving the Lord, is what I'm saying, and he was seeking after the Lord. And so, anyway, that was a traumatic experience, and I really didn't know how to respond to that, but it made me even more God-dependent than I'd ever been before, because now I had a real need in my life, and I felt the, the uh, sadness of not having my father. I was confused, and my mother has always been a tremendous blessing, but boy, this really put her in a bad situation too because she was so dependent upon my father. She had never balanced a checkbook. She had never written any checks. She had never taken care of anything. He totally ran everything, and uh, she was just a picture of a very submissive, quiet, loving wife, and she never had done anything, and now she was thrust into uh, financial matters. She was without a husband, and she was only... At that time, I'm not sure exactly how old she was, but she was in her early 40s, I believe it was. And uh, she was young. She was still teaching school. Now she had two boys to raise. My brother became very rebellious. He had started that direction even before my father died. He was four and a half years older than I was, and he started just getting into nearly everything that he could. Uh, He did all kinds of things, would stay out all night, and my mother was just overwhelmed with that. And all of these things coming together really did put our family in a situation that was it was really strained. And I just turned to the Lord in the midst of that. God also did some super things for me. And there was a youth director in our Baptist church that when he saw that my father had died, he saw the situation that my brother was in, he saw the strain that was on my mother, etc., he really kind of just took us under his wing. And he began to minister to my brother and also myself. And he'd take me out like in the summer when school wasn't going. He'd take me out every morning and we'd play tennis. And then after tennis, we'd go out and get something to drink. We'd just spend time together and we'd talk about the Lord. He'd pray with me. And things like that began to make a tremendous impact on my life. And it just began to solidify me into seeking the Lord. I really became to a place where I started trusting God for everything. I didn't have the advantages that some did, like, uh, I never learned about the facts of life through my father telling me. I learned about it through a high school football locker room. My father tried to share a couple of things right before he died, but I didn't, uh, he didn't share it enough in detail that I really understood. I learned everything I learned in a very negative way. And uh, I just had to start trusting the Lord to give me direction, and I mean, every single thing. I didn't have anybody to ask it got to where the church, the friends at church were my total life and seeking the Lord was my total life. I studied the Word constantly. I remember that when I was a little kid, I read the Bible every single day of my life since I could read. And I've always prayed. Uh, We had what we called vacation Bible school where you'd come together for one week at evening during the day and also at evening and, and just have an intensive Bible training and all these different things geared towards children. And I remember one of the Teachers teaching about prayer and asking people how much they prayed etc and he was trying to make a point that most of us just really don't pray at all and at that time I forget how old I was probably 13 or 14 he started asking how long people prayed and I remember at that time I was averaging probably 30 to 45 minutes a day in actual prayer where I was just seeking the Lord so all of this really reflects that I in my heart was really seeking the Lord, but because I didn't know the Word of God. I was reading it constantly, but there's a difference in having just knowledge about God's Word and having revealed knowledge, where the Holy Spirit's instructed you. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. I didn't really have good revelation at all. And so I was seeking the Lord. My heart was always towards the Lord, but my head was towards the world. And I was like just a lot of kids. I was really into, <coughs> into friends into different things. I was fearful about would people like me. I had the same peer pressures, all of these kind of things. And so it was a paradox in my life. The, the things that the Scripture talks about, the flesh and the Spirit warring against each other, I think I was a classic example of it. On one hand, there was a real earnest seeking after the Lord and God was protecting and blessing. And then on the other hand, just total spiritual ignorance, blindness, uh, unable to perceive the things of God. And... uh It was really a contrast and a paradox, and I honestly didn't know who I was during that high school period of time. Well, anyway, all of this leads up to that uh, during this period of time, when I was about 17 years old, there was two main things that happened. One of them was that we had a youth director that came to our church, and his name was Marion Warren. And this man was different from all the other youth directors in the sense that this guy really was excited about the Lord and I mean his wasn't just that he had had an experience with the Lord and he was just kind of a nice moral person as we would seen sometimes in the past but this guy was totally committed to the Lord He was seeking God. He was excited. Matter of fact, he was the first person that I ever heard in my life go around and when something would happen, he'd say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And he would just glorify God. He'd say, hallelujah, and things like this. And our church actually had a meeting and discussed whether it was proper for him to do this or not. I mean, it was radical back then. Nobody did this. This was back in about 1967, maybe 66. And, um, It was just radical, but I liked it. I saw something in this guy that I really liked, and he began to make a real positive influence on my life. Also, at that same time, there was a man in the church who uh, I didn't notice this when he came and got born again, but his name was Joe Nay, and he had been just a church member all of his life. He was 38 years old at the time, and he had been going to church maybe once or twice a year Uh, since he was a kid, and he was uh, on booze, he was drinking, he was into all types of sin and everything, and yet on the same hand, trying to be a Christian uh, in name, he never had experienced a born-again experience, but he had been coming to church on and off, and he went to that same church, University Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, and he came and had a real experience. He got under conviction one day, went down front, and wanted to accept the Lord, and this church didn't really minister and with real understanding on the born-again experience. When he walked down front, he was in tears, he was repenting, he was desiring to get right with God, but he didn't know how to express what was what he was needing. And so he came down, the pastor said, Well, what do you need? And he said, Well, I don't know. And he said, Well, here, you need to join the church. And so he gave him a card and let him fill it out, and he joined the church. But that wasn't the born-again experience. But it began something in him, and within a very short period of time, he had a miraculous encounter with the Lord at his home, he was caught up into the heavens, had a vision with the Lord, and this guy got born again and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And I mean he radically changed. He got so fanatical that uh, he stuck out like a heel thumb in that church and my some of my best friends and i began to see this guy and he was happy he was overflowing with the love of god that was totally unusual we didn't see things like that in our church there were good people there people that loved god but there were not very many people that knew that god loved them but John A. knew it he was excited about it and this guy just looked like he was so excited and happy that uh, some of me and my best friend wanted to go over and see this guy. So we went to the church office, looked up his address, and just went over to visit him one night. He had never seen us or noticed us. We told him we were from the church. He invited us in, and we began to start fellowshipping with him and just, just talking to him. And he was so excited about the Lord, he began to share about the Lord and tell us things. And before we left, he prayed with us And that was totally unusual. I mean, here we were religious uh, to the hilt, and yet uh, not that religious, not to where we would earnestly pray with somebody over at their house. He would take communion at home, which to me was totally sacrilegious. He did all those kind of things in the church. But he began to just start really showing us the reality, and he was so fresh with the Lord. I mean, it was so new to him that when he would read like in Acts the third chapter about somebody who was healed, Uh, supernaturally at the gate of the temple, never been able to walk. He would read that and just say, man, God heals. You know, healing is for us. God can heal us today. I had read that scripture hundreds of times. I'd heard it preached on, but it was always applied in a spiritual sense, that if you're lame spiritually, if you aren't experiencing a good life, if you are crippled by your sins, come to Jesus, he'll forgive your sins. And it was always a spiritual application, and it had blinded me to what the true reality and meaning of those scriptures were. And when he was telling us about people being healed in the Bible, in the book of Acts, I'd read those things hundreds of times, but my religion had just blinded me to the fact that there was really healing in it. I saw all spiritual applications. And so his perspective on things began to just create within me a tremendous hunger to know the Lord. And so this youth director and then this Joan uh... god really used them powerfully at the same time my sister really got to seek in the lord a lot of it out of desperation and she started reading books testimonies about people like isaac polindo and sadhu sundar singh and people who saw the dead raised on on a regular basis and tremendous miracles and great things happening and all of this god brought it together and through it began to create a hunger in me i'd always had this desire to seek after the lord but I'd never known how to channel it. I didn't know what I was really seeking for. I just knew it was more of the Lord. I began to start getting a revelation that, man, there were miracles uh, available to us today. There was a supernatural life where you didn't have to be just uh, like everybody else, that you could actually get prayers answered, that things could happen. So my senior year in high school, 1967, I sought the Lord, and I began to read the Bible with a new fervor. And uh, I was throwing a paper out in the morning I had to get up at three thirty or 4 o'clock in the morning to throw it 400 and something papers that i threw and i would stay up till 12 o'clock nearly every night studying the bible just reading i was pouring through it and i was getting an average of two to four hours of sleep every night and i lived off of that but i was just so consumed with wanting to know the lord i must have read the bible through two or three times in that one year just seeking the lord And, I mean, I got to where that was all that concerned me. I wasn't interested with any of the school activities or anything else. I was just totally into seeking the Lord. And, anyway, many other things happened during that period of time. And, finally, on March the 23rd of 1968, this is the year after I had graduated from high school, Uh, the summer after I graduated from high school, this Marion Warren who was the youth director at our Baptist church, had taken the youth on a choir tour all the way from Arlington, Texas, up to Seattle, Washington, back down through California and around. And during this period of time, we ministered something like we were gone three weeks and ministered probably 18 or 19 times in those three weeks. And we would sing, give testimonies, do things like that. And we saw miracles happen. It was just supernatural. Uh, pastors of some of the churches that we were in got born again. They said they re- realized they didn't have a genuine relationship with God and they came and repented and got born again. Sometimes the Holy Spirit would just fall in those things to the place that people would start weeping and crying. And some of those services would go three and four hours long, people repenting, getting things straight. And I can't even give you all the reasons for it. I think that Marion Warren, the youth director, was was surprised by it nearly as much as everybody else. It was just God moving in. We sought God. We asked for those things. But I tell you, it exceeded everybody's expectations. But through that, I experienced for three weeks such a supernatural relationship with the Lord that when I got back, I realized I hadn't watched television, I hadn't listened to the radio, and I hadn't missed it. That Jesus had just become everything. And I loved it. And it made me even more determined to seek the Lord. During this period of time, I was fellowshipping with Joe Ney and Steve Mark, my best friends, and we were just constantly, day and night, nearly over at Joe Ney's house and talking about the Lord, praying, asking God for a revival. Uh, God was sending people across our path, etc. Well, finally, on March the 23rd of 1968, this is uh, a year after I'd graduated from high school, so about two years I'd really been just seeking the Lord. God had been priming me and bringing me to a place of desiring to be just totally consumed with God. On this uh, this night, it was a Saturday night. We met together and we prayed from 10 o'clock till 12 midnight every Saturday night. And we'd been doing this for nearly a year. And we were praying for revival in the church. We didn't even know exactly what that meant, but we were just praying for God to do something in the church that we were in. And in these prayer meetings, like I said, I was really seeking God, but I didn't have much wisdom about how to do it. And so Marion Warren, this youth director, would come in, and when he prayed, he would pray like he was talking to the Lord personally. I mean, it would be something that was so personal with him that uh, it was sometimes a little embarrassing to be listening. It was just like him and the Lord talking directly. And I enjoyed that, and I really got blessed by his prayers But it put me in a situation where I didn't know what to pray after he'd prayed. He'd prayed everything. My prayers were always just, Lord, bless us, you know, send a revival to our church, forgive us for our many sins, if it be your will, for Jesus' sake, amen. It was just a a religious prayer, and I didn't know how to really communicate in fellowship with the Lord. So the way that I had adjusted to this prayer time was I would go in there and I would make sure I prayed before Marion. Or before this, Joan A., because those guys, when they prayed, it was real, and it was personal with the Lord. And it just left me nothing to say. So I'd get my prayer out of the way, and then I could sit back and enjoy listening to them pray. And we meant in the Baptist pastor study of this uh, church that we were going to, and they let us in there. And we meant every night, every Saturday night, that is. So anyway, this Saturday night we came in and while I and my friends were still talking about football or whatever we were talking about, this Marion Warren that night was just really burdened with something. And he fell down and he began to just start pouring out his heart and praying. And I mean, he prayed for 45 minutes or an hour this night and he was just really pouring his heart out to the Lord, communicating with the Lord. And all of the time that this was going on, my thoughts were, you know, I was bitter as what I was. I was mad because I thought, you know, this is going to leave me nothing to say. Marion is going to pray everything around the world, and I'm going to have nothing to say, and I'm going to look like a total spiritual dunce in front of all of my best friends. And it was just really carnal, the way that I was thinking. I knew that that wasn't the proper way to think, but nonetheless, that's the way I was thinking. And I just, as he prayed for like this 45 minutes to an hour, I was just letting my thoughts go, and that's what I was thinking of. And I actually was into anger and bitterness and all kinds of things. And while I was like that and on my knees with my eyes closed supposedly praying, but all I was doing was being bitter, the Lord just began to start showing me how totally hypocritical I was. Up until that time, like I said, my whole life had been put into the church. I was a misfit at school or anywhere else, and I had become the president of this youth group that took this choir tour. When we got back from there, I got so turned on that I organized a special youth night of visitation. I went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I went to adult Thursday night visitation. I started a special Tuesday night visitation. I had taken every soul-winning course that you could possibly take I had supposedly taken all of these young people out and taught them how to become soul winners. I was leading, on paper, more people to the Lord than the pastor of our church. Now, the reason I say it that way is because I'm not sure that they were truly born again. I just had a spiel that I was taught. I went out, and I was supposedly leading these people to the Lord. But it was totally something I was doing mechanical. It was a work of the flesh. If anybody got born again, it was in spite of me, not because of me. I wasn't being led by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't directed by God. It was totally something I was doing in my flesh, trying to be good enough. I was seeking after God, and I thought that I was told that if you want God to bless you, you've got to be holy, you've got to be righteous, you've got to do this and that. And I was always trying to earn God's favor, and so I forced myself to overcome my fear, my embarrassment, my timidness, and I went out and made all of these contacts and supposedly led two or three people a week to the Lord. I'd been doing this stuff for a long time. As I was there praying, the Lord just began to show me how much of a total hypocrite I was. He began to start showing me that all of these things, president of all of these organizations, supposedly out knocking on doors, leading people to the Lord, etc., it was totally a work of the flesh. And he reminded me of a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about, you know, that every man will build upon their foundation and some will build gold, silver, and precious stones, others wood, hay, and stubble, and that the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up at the judgment seat Of Christ and he showed me that everything I'd ever done all of my religious works that people had patted me on the back for were just wood hay and stubble in other words they weren't really directed or anointed done by God it was me doing it and it was gonna be burned and I I was gonna stand before God totally naked. I hadn't done anything for God everything I'd done was for me and he used this attitude I had during this prayer meeting to show it that I wasn't praying to him I was praying so that people could hear me and come up and say oh that was such a nice prayer And he just began to show me how much of a total hypocrite I was in everything. I mean, God gave me supernatural revelation, things that I'd never seen. I hadn't done it intentionally, but nonetheless, I had become a totally self-centered hypocrite. Everything I was doing, every religious thing I was doing was wondering if somebody else was seeing it. I was playing to the grandstands. I was doing everything that I was doing so that I could be seen of man, and I had no reward from God. And God began to show me that right in this prayer meeting in front of all of these people. So when the Lord showed me these things, my response to that was that I just, for the first time, I really saw things from God's perspective. And for the brief moment of time there, I mean, everything just came into focus. I saw that I was missing it as far as you could possibly miss it. I was so proud of my religious accomplishments, all of the things that I had done and yet in God's sight I was a big zero according to what I had done. And God really made a supernatural revelation of that to me. I mean, it broke my heart, and my response was, I determined to come clean. And this was a hard uh, response, I mean, in front of these people. These were the people that I would spent my entire life, up to that time I was 18 years old, I would spent my entire life trying to build a reputation and, and always perform and get everybody's approval. And in front of these people who were the most important people in the world to me, I started confessing. Boy, when Marion got through praying, I started confessing every rotten thing I had done. I confessed my hypocrisy. I confessed these attitudes. As fast as God had revealed them to me, I'd openly confess them. I was repenting. I was crying. I was confessing these things. And I mean, I prayed for over an hour and a half that night. I mean, I just poured my heart out, asked God to forgive me. And my theology was so bad during that period of time. Like I said, I was told that God killed my father for some reason. I was with other people. My grandmother died when I was just eight years old, and she's one that kind of lived with us and brought me up to a degree. And all kinds of tragedy happened. Uh, Everything bad that you can imagine just kind of happened to us, and we had a lot of problems And my theology was so messed up that I honestly thought that when I confessed all of these things, I didn't know that God was going to forgive me and cleanse me and that I'd have joy and all of this. I didn't know but what God would kill me. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I didn't care. I just knew that I had to get it straight. And I confessed all of these things... And, you know, it totally changed my theology because before that time, I had been doing all of these things, trying to perform. God, is it enough? Have I led enough people to the Lord? Have I knocked on enough doors? Am I good enough? Have I studied the Word enough? Am I praying long enough every day? I was always receiving any any time that God ever blessed me, any time that I ever had what we called a mountaintop experience with the Lord, I always thought it was directly proportional to how I'd performed. Every time God had blessed me, I'd always try and figure out what I had done to make him bless me. That was the mentality that I had. That's the mentality that most people have. And so when I got through praying and confessing how bad I was, to my surprise, instead of wrath coming, instead of God rebuking me, instead of me feeling miserable and condemned and all of these things, I mean, the love of God just came flooding through me in a way that I could never totally explain it to anybody else. I read Charles Finney's book, his testimony, and he said that waves of liquid love came over him and it just engulfed him and changed him. Uh, Dwight L. Moody talked about a similar type of experience. I mean, the love of God, Jesus became so real to me. If he would have stood there and if I'd have seen him physically and if he'd have told me, you're forgiven, I love you, and it's just as if nothing ever happened, nothing could have made it more real to me than what I experienced that night. I mean, God loved me in a way that I have never gotten over. It's been 19 years since then, and I guarantee you, I have never gotten over that experience. The love of God just became real to me, and the thing that so startled me was, it wasn't when I'd just done something good. It was when I'd done my worst. I finally confessed all of the rotten things that I'd ever done. My performance stunk, and I admitted it And at that time, God loved me, and that taught me that his love was totally independent of me. It wasn't something I earned. God just loved me because God was love. And I'd always been taught to love God, and I'd always loved God as best I knew how. But the thing that changed that night was I knew that God loved me, and it totally, totally changed my life. I remember the next morning at 6 o'clock, I was back up at the church. My best friend Steve was a janitor at the church, and I was up there talking with him. And I said, Steve, I don't know what's happened to me. The same thing happened to him. When I got through, he began to repent. Boy, I mean, God filled him and just overflowed. And uh, I said, I don't know what happened to us last night. But I said, boy, I'm different. I said, I'm as changed as when I got born again. Matter of fact, as time went on, I I actually changed more through that experience than I did When I got born again, uh, because then, boy, it became a reality to me. I believe when I was born again, my spirit was changed, but now my mind was affected. My body was affected. I mean, Jesus began to literally dominate and control every single waking thought. I found out that God was real, and I knew that before, but I mean, I experienced it, and it revolutionized my life. For the next four and a half months, I wasn't even aware that anything existed except God. I mean, I became so totally consumed with God that everything else just seemed to uh, totally be eradicated from my mind. I had a horse that I used to ride every single day. I mean, it just had to be something special for me to miss going out there and riding that horse. And I've just got so consumed that for four and a half months, I never even thought about that horse. When I finally thought of it, four and a half months later... I wasn't aware if anybody had taken care of it, if they had fed it or whatever. I mean, I just never even missed it. I would watched television. I was just a typical kid. I probably watched a good four hours of television a day. I had certain favorites. I was into the football season and into all of these kind of things. I never even watched television. I never listened to the radio. Before that time, I was into country and western music is what I was into. And I never missed it. I never even thought about it. It was just I was so totally consumed with God that it was unreal. All of my friends that were present at this prayer meeting that night, the same thing happened to them and two of my friends moved in to our house. We had a big house and it was just me and my mother living there at that time, so they moved in so that we could spend nearly all night long in prayer and bible studies. And we'd stay up till two or three o'clock in the morning praying, studying the word, and then we'd get up at six every morning and go to a prayer meeting the church wouldn't allow us to use it because they didn't want us up there, but the janitor was a friend of ours and he would leave a window open and we would sneak in this window and go have early morning prayer meetings before we went off to our uh, college classes and the other kids went to high school. And we were just totally consumed with God. The only reason that I ever came down to the earth and uh, I once again began to start thinking about things four and a half months later was because uh, I took a... A tour with my mother and a lot of other people they were all Baptist people and we were headed over to Switzerland to go to a big conference in Bern Switzerland that Billy Graham was holding and on the way we toured England and Amsterdam France and Italy and all of these places and my mother had thought that I had gone totally wild she didn't understand what was happening and I didn't uh, take the time to try and explain it to her and I also became uh, I'm sure I was very obnoxious uh my perception at that time was that i wasn't but i'm sure i was very obnoxious with people and she didn't know how to relate to it she didn't know what was happening so she talked to the youth director of a baptist church who was with us on this tour and told him that he needed to straighten me out and so for about three weeks as we traipsed all around europe he just kept telling me day and night telling me i was of the devil that what I'd experienced was of the devil, that God doesn't do miracles today, that you're crazy, and and he just nagged me and nagged me, and I wasn't really established. Again, I had a tremendous experience, but I didn't have the word to back up what had happened to me, and after uh, three weeks of that, when I got back, it was four and a half months after this experience, I actually got down on myself and thinking, Boy, I really am a jerk. I must be doing everything wrong. And I got back into discouragement, and and, uh, this emotion that that night produced, uh, began to leave. And so over the next few years, what happened was, I was changed on the inside. I've never gotten over that experience. I know with all of my heart that God loves me, but I came into frustration about how could God love me when I'm acting the way I do and when I'm not perfect. This guy had gotten me to where I came back into that old condemnation and that unworthy feeling, and I couldn't harmonize what I saw doctrinally with what was taught me spiritually uh, what I experienced that night and so for the next few years I got into the Word of God day and night I began to seek and study and the Lord started showing me truths that would harmonize doctrine with what I had experienced in my heart and to a large degree that's what I still minister today I'm still just ministering those same things that the Lord began to teach me and so my whole life just immediately changed I began to recognize that God loved me, and it didn't encourage me to go live in sin. As a matter of fact, it actually encouraged me to be more zealous towards God than I'd ever been before. And this is a truth that I just now have really figured out and have gotten to a place where I can teach it from the Word and explain. But most people are trying to motivate Christians to serve God out of a sense of duty and out of a sense of fear, fear that God won't bless us, etc., if we do it. Well, that's the way that I lived from the time I was 8 until I was 18. But the Scripture way is to motivate a person through love. If you can never get a person to love God, then I promise you, you, that person will give everything that they've got. Everything. My personal testimony reflects that and, of course, the lives of thousands of other people that I've met and come in contact with personally reflect that. When a person really loves God where their heart is, that's where all the rest of them will be. And so there was two motivations. One, to serve God out of fear. I tried that, and the Bible says in 1 John 4:18, fear has torment. I was serving God. I was doing what they said, but I was tormented. This whole time that I'd be going up and knocking on these doors and supposedly taking the young people with me and leading people to the Lord, I was tormented in my heart because I was fearful that I was not going to have the right thing to say, that I'd fail, that God would be displeased with me, and I was tormented. Matter of fact, I'd go up to these doors lots of times and when I knocked on the door, I'd be praying and saying, God, don't let there be anybody home. I'd be just saying that in my heart because I was so fearful about speaking to people and confronting them and yet I was forcing myself to do it out of fear. But after this experience, when I knew that God loved me and I knew that that God was pleased with me, not through what I'd done, He just loved me. When I understood that, It set me free. It set me free from a fear of what other people thought. I got to where I was witnessing to everything that moved. I actually confronted people as they came out of the 7-Eleven store. Now, I didn't have much wisdom. I mean, I would go up and grab people if they had a uh, pack of cigarettes in their hand or a case of beer and tell them they're going to hell. Man, repent. Jesus loves you. You can get born again. That's not the proper way to do it, but my heart was right. And, I mean, I lost that fear of people and what they thought. I became evangelistic. Instead of going out and making five extra visits a week on a Tuesday night visitation that I started, I got to where I started witnessing to every person I saw. Well, I was in my first year of college, second semester, when all of this happened, and uh, I I went to school every day. I went to my college every day, but I would see people on my way to class. I'd get to talking to somebody. I'd just stop people on the street, uh, on the sidewalk, and witness to them. And the bell had ringed to go to class, and man, I couldn't leave somebody and let them go to hell just because the bell rang. So I wound up for two and a half months going to class every single day, but never making a single class because I'd get to talking to people. And so eventually, as a result of that, I dropped out of college, and that's another thing that my mother just couldn't understand. Because uh, my mother is a teacher, my brother is a teacher, my sister's a teacher, my brother in law is a professor, my sister in law is a. Uh teacher my father was a principal at one time all of my aunts and uncles are teachers or professors at college i mean education was it and i dropped out of school god told me to do it and that's a whole nother story i've got that on how to find god's will about that was one of the most miraculous things that god ever did was to get it through to me to get out of college and it was totally contrary it cost me a lot my mother didn't understand it i lost not only her respect but I lost uh, $150 a month from the government that was Social Security for my dad's death uh, when I quit school. I immediately became 1A during the Vietnam crisis and was drafted. And all of these things happened. My mother couldn't handle it, and she went over two weeks without even talking to me. One night I took her out to dinner just trying to, make men's, uh, to mend the situation, and, and she wouldn't even talk to me. And I finally... Asked something about some of the old teachers. She was still teaching in the school system. And I said, have you seen any of my old teachers lately? She was constantly seeing them. And she said, yes. And she had seen one. I said, well, what did she say? And She said, well, she asked if you were going to school. And then she started crying. And so it brought the whole situation up. And I mean, it was terrible. It was a bad situation. And all of these negative things were going on. But I was so turned on. Like I said, I was witnessing to these people. I was doing all of these things. And it came to where instead of just making a few visits on a Tuesday night, I started witnessing to everybody. This friend of mine, we divided the city up into segments. We started knocking on every door. And this time, instead of praying, don't let there be anybody home, we started praying that God would help us not to waste our time knocking on doors where there wasn't anybody there, because we were making sometimes a 100 visits a day. We were trying to cover that entire city as fast as we could and tell every single person about the Lord. And it got to the point that people were slamming doors in our face. We would ask people if they were Christian. We didn't know how to go about it. We knew that the ways we were taught, the... the uh Systems that we were taught how to witness we knew that that wasn't right We had something that was more real than that and so we didn't know exactly how to do it We just started going up and trying to talk to anybody that would listen We had people slam doors in our face. We had people tell us they were Christians pull coins out of their pockets and say well Certainly, I'm a Christian right here. It says in God we trust and so I recognized that we couldn't just ask if they were a Christian We had to come up with something else so we came up with Christian surveys and every kind of gimmick you can imagine And I mean, one day I was so determined I was going to witness to somebody. People had been slamming the doors in my face, and I hadn't been able to get to talk to a single person. That I was in a very rich part of the town, and I came up to this one door, and I said, Bless God, I'm going to talk to this person. I don't care what I've got to do. And I knocked on the door, and a woman came to the door and just barely cracked the door open and said, What do you want? And I could tell she was put out, didn't want to talk with me from the very start. And so anyway, I just looked at her and I said, well, praise God, I finally found a Christian. And boy, she looked at me and says, what makes you think I'm a Christian? And see, already I had her where I wanted. She was trying to convince me she wasn't a Christian, which, so that was very positive. And I said, well, you got this scripture out here on your fence. You've got to be a Christian. And boy, it floored this lady. She says, scripture on my fence, where? And I pointed to this sign. I said, look, and I turned over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 in the Bible. And I said, right here it says, beware of dogs. (laughs) And I just kept reading. This lady was so stunned, she let me read all of Philippians chapter 3, and I got to talk to her about the Lord before she recovered and shut the door in my face. Now, the reason I say that is to say, see the difference that it made? Before that time, I was out knocking on doors, but in my heart, I was praying, God, don't let there be anybody home. And now, after that experience, boy, I knew that God loved me. It made a total difference in my life. Just finding out that God loved me and He didn't love me based on my performance. It wasn't what I was doing for Him. Now I was out knocking on more doors, but if somebody would have asked me, well, what makes you think God loves you? Instead of pointing to what I was doing, I'd have just pointed to Jesus. I just knew Jesus loved me. It wasn't based on what I'd done. That set me free. It changed my life. And I guarantee it was a dramatic, dramatic change in my life. Uh, In retrospect, doctrinally, Some people ask me what happened to me, and I still don't totally understand everything. Here is what I believe, and this is subject to God still showing me, but I really believe that on March the 23rd 1968, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I did not speak in tongues at that time. I never had even heard that there was such a thing as speaking in tongues, and I'm aware that most people or some people preach that if you don't speak in tongues that you didn't receive. And uh, I personally believe that you are supposed to speak in tongues. I don't believe that God ever intends for anybody not to. It says believers shall speak with tongues. It's definitely there. But I believe that it's something that you have to give place to, that you have to use. It it is not something that happens against your will. And I know that now, now that I do speak in tongues and now that I minister to other people... I find lots of people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, who did speak with tongues when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now they aren't using their prayer language because they just wait on an emotion to come or something. They don't ever use it. They don't exercise what God's given them. I believe God gave me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe that I could have spoken in tongues, but I didn't know about it. I was taught against it, and I never yielded to it, and so... It certainly didn't have the impact on me that it should, but nonetheless, it was a dramatic impact. My life totally changed, and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, were definitely manifest. To me, the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit was the Word coming alive. I mean, after this experience, God's Word exploded on the inside of me to the point that I would spend 16 hours a day studying the Word. When I quit college... I had nothing to do except just be in the Word. And I remember for months at a time, I'd be in the Word 16 hours a day, just studying, pouring over it. God was speaking to me so fast and so strong that I couldn't even assimilate it. There's certain times that I had to ask the Lord just to stop. God, I can't process all of this. I was getting so much revelation so fast that I couldn't handle it. And so I really believe that that evidence of having the Word of God just come alive, I believe that to me that was the greatest evidence that the Holy Spirit had come and lived on the inside of me. Anyway, right after this, shortly after this period of time, and, uh, well, during this period of time, uh, I had left the church that I was brought up in, uh, most of it, under criticism. And I was kicked out. This was right after I received this experience, and uh, the church just wasn't able to handle it. And so I went over to a church on the other side of Dallas. It was about 40 miles one way. I went over there, and became a youth director and began to start ministering there, and some great things were happening. Well, then I received my draft notice. I got drafted, and I went into the Army. And I tell you, it was a it was a very hard experience in one way, but then in another way, it was really a powerful thing. God used it in a tremendous way in my life because when I got turned on, uh, these friends, Joe Nay, Steve Malk, and others, We became so close that we became totally dependent on each other. We were spending probably a good eight, maybe ten hours a day with each other, seeking the Lord, praying, studying the Word, going out and witnessing. We were so dependent on each other that um, I think in the long run it might have been detrimental to my spiritual growth if it would have continued that way. But when I got drafted, I got put into a situation where I never had been around sin before. I grew up in a very controlled environment, I never had been exposed to a lot of that stuff and when I was in the army I saw everything that could happen happen just about and yet God protected me through it and I could share testimony after testimony we had a race riot one night and uh, the blacks outnumbered the whites in our uh, barracks two to one and the blacks started at the other end and just worked their way down they had all of the doors blockaded and they were just beating the pulp out of all the white guys and I never was a fighter in the world And they came down, blood flowed so that it stopped up the drains on the cement floors. People were sent to the infirmary, dozens of them. And the guy who was doing all the fighting came to me, and right as he got to me, I was just laying in bed, I didn't know what to do, I was praying. He got to me and stopped and looked at me, and it turned out that I had witnessed to this guy. He was a Baptist pastor's son, and yet he was a pimp on the outside. And he was convicted, he knew in his heart what I said was right, And because I would witnessed him, he got to me and just looked at him. And I mean the conviction of God fell on this guy and he just went over and laid down on his bed and it was over with. God supernaturally protected me. I got to lead many people in the the army to the Lord in supernatural ways. And it was a tremendous growing experience for me. Uh, It was for the first time I really went through some hard times. I was separated from my family, separated from people that I loved. When I went through Vietnam, I never meant a Christian over there for the first six months that I was there. Now, there may have been somebody who was a Christian, but they weren't enough of a Christian that they were vocal with it. And here I was trying to witness to everybody, and I mean, it looked like I was the only one over there. And it made me rely on the Lord more than I ever had thought possible. It drew me close to the Lord. And some tremendous things happened. I was seeking the Lord during that time. Uh, I fell back into some depression, which it may sound like, you know, after a tremendous experience, as the Lord gave me, that you would never, never again be depressed or any of those things. But it happened to me because I was still not founded in the Word of God. And this is a point that needs to be made, that regardless of what kind of experience you have, experiences are tremendous. But you can't live and base your life on an experience. The Word of God has to be the foundation of everything. And because I still did not have a real total revelation, I mean, I was gaining revelation fast, but I did not have enough revelation of the Word of God, I came into discouragement and despair in Vietnam. And what caused it was that I saw so much sin and me so unable to affect it. I was just seeing a few people born again here and there, but boy, it seemed like Satan was bigger than God when I was in Vietnam. And I saw so much of that that I came under so much condemnation like, man, I'm no good. I, I'm not being used of God. I'd be better off dead. I'd, I'd rather die and go to heaven. And I actually spent a number of months in Vietnam so depressed that I was asking the Lord to kill me and just take me home. Because I was frustrated. Not depressed because I'd lived in sin and not because I had a guilt over sin that I was doing or anything. I was depressed because it looked like Satan was winning instead of God, and I had such a hunger for God, I felt like, man, I was a failure, and I just wanted out. And I nearly got killed twice in one day. My sister, supernaturally, was uh, awoken one night, and she prayed and interceded for me, and God did a lot of things to protect me. But anyway, as I came through Vietnam, uh, there was a chaplain that one time said this, and, and it really stuck with me. He said, the army is a fire, And it'll melt you. But he said, you'll fit into whatever mold you've got picked for yourself. And, you know, I can really bear witness with that, that because I was totally committed to the Lord and because I was seeking God with all my heart, it just melted me. And I mean, it made me stronger, more committed to God than I'd ever been in my entire life. It wasn't always a happy experience, but it really did drive me towards God. People who maybe were very moral people and even Christians as they went into the army, but they hadn't made that commitment I saw them uh, fail. I saw them under the pressure. I saw them go live in sin and have terrible experiences that I don't know if they ever recovered from. If they did, it would take supernatural work of God in their heart to ever really rekindle that relationship. But that's what the army did for me. God used it to really help mature and to grow me up and to make me totally dependent upon him. He put a lot of things in perspective. When I was over there, I recognized that things weren't important I recognized what really was important. I sought the Lord stronger than I ever had, and I came out of there with a real revelation of God and a real hunger for Him. During my first leave, right before I went over to Vietnam, I came back home, and I had my Christmas leave right before I left for Vietnam. This was Christmas of 1969. And during that, we had kind of a going-away party for me. I was being shipped out the next day for Vietnam, And this friend of mine, Joe Nay, came back over, and uh, he was not invited. It wasn't that I didn't invite him. It's just that uh, during the time I was in the service, this Steve, Mark, and Joe Nay and I had just split. And it was really God that split us. We didn't disagree. We weren't mad. But it's just all of us seemed to go in a different direction. Steve went to Korea in the service. I went to Vietnam, and Joe went another direction. And what had happened was Joe Nay had joined up with Kenneth Copeland, had ministered with him some, had traveled with him some, and he came over and another man with him to this party and kind of crashed this party. And, of course, I was glad to see him, so I was spending some time talking with him, and he just took over, and here were all of these people. Every one of them were Baptist people. None of them had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they took it over and spent about an hour and a half ministering on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and just told us from Scripture, experience, and all different kinds of things about how it was of God. Now, like I said, I believed that I had received the baptism in March the 23rd of 68, but I didn't know what it was. Matter of fact, when I tried to exp- explain to people what I had received, I remember that in my Baptist church, I got up and I would read the Scripture about be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, I believe that's what happened to me. I'm just literally filled with God's Spirit. And I remember that they jumped on me so bad, they made me feel terrible. They said, nobody but the Apostle Paul and maybe Peter or one or two other people have ever had that happen. You certainly can't claim to have that. And I backed off of it and apologized. For about two and a half years, we didn't know what to call it. We just called it the power. We told people that we had the power. Do you want the power? We didn't know what it was called. We didn't know that much scripturally. But anyway, they begin to explain to us from the Word about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And Joe told me, he says, that's what you got that night when we were in this prayer meeting. He says, that's what I got. And he said, I wasn't aware of it, but he says, now I speak in tongues. And he says, when you speak in tongues, he says, you just begin to release it, and things will happen that you've never seen before. And so anyway, my mother and some other people were very upset at the turn of events. Here they were having a party, uh, and... Joe and this other man crashed. It's what they looked at. But in my heart, I knew it was right. It's the first time I'd ever heard anybody talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. But instantly, I knew that that was of God. And I didn't. they didn't know enough about it. Joe was so brand new in it that he didn't know what was happening. All they were doing was just sharing that it was there. But... When I said, man, I want it, pray with me, they didn't know how to minister. And so they said, well, let's just pray. And and if it's God's will, he'll give it. You know, you'll be able to speak in tongues. So we prayed that night, but I didn't speak in tongues because they didn't tell me that I was supposed to. It's just we prayed that God would make me do it. And I labored under this false impression for three and a half years that if God wanted me to speak in tongues, that he would make it happen. And I was seeking it. I prayed for it. I wrote letters about it. I studied books about it. I did everything desiring it, but I didn't understand that I was the one that had to speak in tongues. And so anyway, the next day I was shipped out, and I remember all through Vietnam, man, praying, staying up all night long, praying and asking God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had already received it, but I wanted that uh, evidence of speaking in tongues. And so anyway, uh, I went through Vietnam and... I got some books over there. I remember I prayed one time that God would just supernaturally do something, and they had these care packages that people had sent from the States for Christmas, and they were giving them out. And I, I picked one out, and there were cookies in it and some things like this, and then there was a book in there entitled The Cross and the Switchblade and another one entitled Run, Baby, Run, which was about David Wilkerson and Nicky Cruz, and in both of them it talked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. I was the only one that got one of those. And some little lady, I think in Ohio's where it was, had stuffed these into a package and sent them to Vietnam through her church group. And I got those things. Boy, I read those books and just devoured them, and I was totally convinced it was for me. Anyway, when I got back out of the service, I began to start running around with Joe Ney. He took me over, and I heard Kenneth Copeland for the first time. And, man, I mean, I'd never heard anything except a Baptist message in my life. But after that, I went there that very first night, and I was out in the aisles dancing with everybody else. I was just turned on. I knew in my heart that, man, there was some truth here. There was something that I'd never experienced before. And so I began to start running around with Joe and going to full gospel businessmen's meetings and hearing testimonies. This was back in 1971 when I got out of the service. I started attending these meetings in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, And so anyway, through this, the Lord began to explain to me, and I remember some of the statements that I heard were that it's not the Holy Ghost that prays in tongues. It's you that does the praying, and the Holy Ghost inspires it. The scriptural evidence uh, basis for that was Acts chapter 2, verse 4, that they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And I've got all of this explained doctrinally on two tapes entitled The Baptism of the Holy Ghost and Why Speak in Tongues. But anyway, the Lord just began to show me some things, and I began to realize that I had received that, and it was just up to me. I had to release it. I needed to release what God had already given me. I remember that Jonah came over one day. I'd been praying. I hadn't seen him in a few weeks. He came over one day and stood at the door, and he says, God sent me over here, and you're going to speak in tongues today. And I said, well, praise God, come on in. So he came in, he talked to me for a while. He rebuked the Baptist spirit off of me. He rebuked the timid spirit off of me. He rebuked everything. He nearly rubbed all the hair off the top of my head praying for me. He called this out on me and called that into me, and he did this. He pushed and pulled, and I didn't say anything. And finally, he said, Now you just repeat after me and say these words after me. And I said, Joe, I'm not going to repeat after you. I want God to give me a language, I don't want your language. I said, I'm not going to mock God and play. I said, I want something real from God. And he said, now, if I was to speak Spanish and say, como esta usted, and if you repeat that after me, he says, would you be speaking Spanish? And I said, yes, but that's different. And he said, no, it's not different. And anyway, this guy would not leave me alone. And finally, to get him off my back, he prayed in, in his tongue, and I tried to repeat it. I got so embarrassed, so humiliated that, I mean, I fell down on my face, asked God to forgive me, and told Joe to get out of my house. I didn't want any anymore. So he left there just totally, you know, confused about why I couldn't speak in tongues. But what that did, it broke a real wall because I had never allowed myself to be embarrassed. It was the same old thing of pride hanging on. And I was, when I finally prayed or said those silly words in front of Joe Nay, it so humiliated me that, I mean, I was at the bottom of the barrel. I felt like I had made such a fool of myself. I had to leave right then and go across town. I had an appointment to set up with a guy who needed to get born again, and I was going to go over there and talk to him. And on the way across town, it was like a 20-minute drive. As I was driving over there, I felt so humiliated. I said, man, I hadn't got anything to lose, and I just started speaking. In all these silly words, and to me, it didn't seem like it was God. I didn't believe it was God or nothing. It just I was just doing what I'd heard other people tell me to do, but I didn't think it was really the Spirit. I felt like it was me totally mocking God. But as I did that, all of a sudden, I said these two words that really made sense. And I mean, they, I didn't understand what they said, but they just bore witness in my heart. I thought, man, that was God. Those sounded like good words. And so I used those two words and just wore them out as I drove across town, thinking, man, I'm really speaking in tongues. When I got there for the first time in my life, this guy started telling me problems. I was able to stop him, interrupt, and say, here's what your problem is. I operated in the gifts of the Spirit. This guy was so overwhelmed, he repented, was born again. It was the most miraculous manifestation of the power of God I'd ever seen. And I knew that it was because I had finally released The Holy Spirit through this speaking in tongues. So when I got back in the car, man, I was going to start speaking in tongues again, and I forgot those two words. And I mean, panic came over me. This had been three and a half years I'd been seeking this, and panic just came over me like, God, I can't lose them. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, well, if you you got those two, pray and get two more, and then you'll have a total of four. So I did that, I prayed for a few minutes, and then I had two words that seemed real good to me, and I started using them, and then I said, well, I'm going to do it again and get two more, and within ten minutes, I was speaking in tongues fluently in different languages, and I tell you, God really set me free. Now, there's a lot more to that story, and it took me another year before I got totally convinced and, and established in it, because I was still in the Baptist church, and they were preaching against it, 90 to nothing. I was hearing doubt and unbelief crammed down my throat, and yet here I was, praying in tongues this whole time. And so it still took me another year before I really got established and began to see the total benefit. During that time, I'd pray in tongues. I tried to pray in tongues at least an hour every single day. And I was doing it, but struggling with it at the same time I was praying whether this was really God or not. But when I started to pray in tongues, again, a manifestation of the power of God was released in my life that was again in such contrast it was nearly like this first experience on march the 23rd of 68 again everything just totally changed the revelation knowledge began to escalate again i began to start see the gifts of the spirit operate we started seeing people healed miracles happen deliverance tremendous things begin to happen and my personal conviction is that i really had received the baptism before but now i was releasing it giving him more control in my life by praying in tongues and again I have all of that explained on a tape entitled why pray in tongues and uh, God just really began to manifest some very supernatural things after I'd gotten out of the service and had received this uh, ability to speak in tongues and it started operating in that uh, miracles just begin to happen we begin to start seeing people healed we got into casting demons out of people and this happened nearly by accident. I mean, God just thrust us into it. We had some people that were on dope. We had one girl that we knew had had problems we'd been praying for, her, and she just lost her mind one day. And we knew that the people would stick her in the mental ward and put her in some kind of insane asylum someplace. And we knew that it wasn't that. We knew it was demons. And we didn't know how to deal with them, but we just locked her in a room and had shifts 24 hours a day and just sang and praised god and just flat drove the devils out of her it wasn't the right way to do it but our heart was right and anyway we saw her set free and so through that we started ministering deliverance to people made some real serious mistakes about deliverance we actually got more afraid of the devil and of his power than we were convinced with god and his power And, and it took a period of time we had to grow through that and I believe that God finally straightened that out so that now we see lots of demons cast out, but it's no big thing. It's just we speak in the name of Jesus and they go. We don't have to talk to them anymore, don't have to ask them their name and how they got there, which is very deceptive and can cause tremendous problems. And we experienced a lot of those things. But anyway, God just began to teach us all kinds of things. We begin to experience the supernatural. And this church that I was attending over in... Mesquite, Texas, the name of it was Calvary Hill Baptist Church. It was a spirit filled church. That's what it was billed as. Uh, we even had conferences on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We would use that terminology and hang signs up about uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. From the pulpit, we would say that speaking in tongues was real, that it was of God. But, and then they would counter it with 40 minutes of cautions and fear. And so, anyway, even though that they acknowledged. A lot of the truths of the Word of God in practice, you didn't ever hear speaking in tongues in the church. The gifts of the Spirit were discouraged. And so it was really deceptive. On the surface, it looked better than what it really was. And it was beginning to sap and kill uh, me spiritually. It was beginning to drain and, and draw away the life of God because we were professing something but not living it. We had the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. But it was good for me in the sense that I was a leader in that church. I, that's the church that I had been a youth director at before I went into the service. When I came back, I was no longer a youth director, but I did have a position of leadership. I was teaching some classes, Sunday school classes. Because I was so fanatical, they would give me the class that nobody else would take. And I remember I took a young people's class that only had like four people in it, and they put us in a bus that meant out in the in a bus that was stripped, didn't have anything in the bus and we'd meet out there in the winter it was cold in the summer it was hot but within a short period of time I think within a month or two months after taking that class over it had grown from four to like 50 we were having tremendous results so then they gave me an old abandoned house that had been moved in next to our property you had to walk over a hundred yards through a muddy field to get over there and they gave that to me Well, we brought all the young people over, and we converted it and painted it and fixed up. And anyway, within a short period of time, we had over 200 young people coming to that thing. And God just began to start doing great things. I started teaching through that, and that's when the Lord showed me that I had the gift of teaching and that that was what he had called me to do. And it's a long story, but it was just so evident. I just started taking advantage of any opportunity I had to minister to people And over a period of a year or so, I began to recognize that I really had a gift from God to teach. Because they would put me into a Sunday school class, and you were supposed to teach from these quarterlies. And I hated doing that. That was another reason that they considered me an outcast or a renegade. But anyway, I'd try and go along with them. They'd give me these quarterlies, and I'd never know what class I was going to teach. I was like a substitute teacher. And I'd get there. They'd hand me a quarterly. I'd have two seconds to look over the verse, I'd open it up, and I mean, it'd just flow out on me. I could minister, and the Word of God would flow. You could give, They gave me a scripture one time out of Haggai that I didn't even know was in the Bible. I read it, and immediately God spoke to me. I began to start ministering. We saw people saved and healed that morning. Tremendous things happening, and it was just so evident that it wasn't me that I finally recognized that there was a gift operating on the inside of me. As I prayed about it, God confirmed it and showed it to me many different ways and that's where I began to recognize that I had a gift of teaching that that's what God had called me to do. I also started a Bible study in my home over in Arlington, Texas which was 40-something miles away. Some of the young people from that church in Mesquite would drive over there but also we had a brand new group from Arlington area and this is when there weren't any spirit-filled churches to speak of that I was really aware of. The Charismatic Uh, movement was just getting started and people were hungry and they had to come out of their churches to hear anything because the churches were preaching that all of this speaking in tongues etc was of the devil and so we converted our garage in Arlington into a Bible study room didn't put any furniture in it we'd cram 60 or 70 people in there I mean wall-to-wall people we'd see demons cast out and people heal miracles happen we'd I'd teach the Word and uh, I remember one of the churches there in Arlington put out a list of places that were of the devil and it had 10 places listed and I was number two on the list. And boy, it just was great publicity. All the people in that church that were hungry for the Holy Spirit began to start coming to these Bible studies. And we began to do that and just saw tremendous results. So for a year or so, I got out of the service in 1971, March the 1st of 71, and I received this bill, uh, this uh released to speak in tongues just right after that and so for a little over a year i taught these bible studies ministered at this church etc and gained a lot of experience started seeing some good things happen and also during that period of time uh in 1972 in the spring of 1972 i was praying with a group of young people and one of those young people that we always prayed together with was jamie harris and uh In the spring of 1972, God just, I began to be drawn to her uh, real strong. Before that time, I was so consumed just thinking about the Lord that honestly I didn't even notice or recognize girls. It just wasn't a part of me. I'd made a decision, and really in my heart, I thought I was going to be the Apostle Paul and never get married. But all of a sudden, I began to be attracted towards Jamie. And I still was not... (laughs) as smart in a word is what I should be. And so I kind of put a fleece out to see if she was, you know, if God was drawing us together, if this was just totally carnal and if it was me. So I put this fleece out and I got fleeced. Anyway, my sign didn't work out properly. And so I began to rebuke all of my feelings towards Jamie and all of these other things. Well, about that time, God began to start dealing with Jamie about me. And she prayed about it, and over a month or two months period of time, the Lord showed her that we were supposed to be married. I had been feeling those things even before she did, but I had rejected it and rebuked it. And it's a very long story. My wife has a tape out that is her testimony. It gives some of her background, but the majority of her testimony is just dealing with how God supernaturally brought us together. And uh, I'm not going to go into all of the details because that tape covers all of that. But anyway, we were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. God put us together in a supernatural way. And we were married on October the 27th of 1972. And once again, boy, my life took a drastic turn. And God began to start using us in the ministry. And nearly immediately we left that Baptist church. And we went out on our own and began in the ministry in earnest. About 1972 is when we really got serious about going into the ministry. And once again, that is a complete another testimony. My wife and I have another tape uh, where both of us are sharing and just talking about from this time forward about how we got started in the ministry, uh, some of the things that God has done, etc. But I wanted to share this part just to give a personal testimony about my background, not to uh, glorify me because really it is... It's just God that intervened in my life. I really believe, uh, the Lord gave me a scripture in 19, I believe it was 69, as I was going to minister in this little Baptist church one day, and he showed me out of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, that before I was formed in the womb, that God called me and sanctified me and ordained me to be a prophet unto the nations. In my situation, it's a teacher. But I really believe that I was called of God from a very young age, and it was just supernatural. It's God, and the only thing I had to do with it was simply to respond to it and receive what God was doing. I could have voided it, but I certainly didn't cause it. It's just God that has blessed me, and he has a special plan for every single person's life. You know, when I was eight years old, right after I'd first gotten saved, we had a Baptist preacher come to our church, and he was holding a revival, and of course, he didn't know anything about the gift of prophecy or gifts of the Spirit, he didn't present it that way, but he hounded me and my family all week long telling us that I was called to the ministry and that I was supposed to surrender to preach, is what they called it. And he wanted me to come down in front of the church and do that. And I never did respond because I didn't want to be hypocritical. I didn't want to do something, and I didn't know in my heart. I thought about preaching that it was like a Baptist preacher, stand up behind a pulpit and have three points in a poem, And I certainly didn't want to do that, and I still don't want to do that. I don't feel called to preach in the sense as the role models that I saw. When God finally showed me I was called to teach and that I could just sit down and share the word and tell people things that will help them, I responded to that instantly. But what I'm saying is, even back then, at eight years old, I believed that that was God speaking through that man, and uh, it was evident to other people. And in my heart, I've always had a desire to do something like that. And so God really did uh, just single me out. God's the one that's moved in my life, and any of the good things that have happened, boy, he gets all the credit for it. And it can certainly happen to you. I'd like to pray a prayer for you just real quickly and just ask the Lord to use this testimony and apply it to your life and open you up to his purpose for you in any way that he sees fit. Father, right now, for the people listening to this tape, I ask you, Father that as I've testified about how you've loved me and how you've changed my life and intervened with me, I ask you, Father, that people could relate to some of these things, that people who maybe are experiencing some of those same frustrations I did, that, Father, they'll open up to humble themselves, that they'll quit trying to earn and produce your love and instead just acknowledge that it's there and acknowledge it, receive it. Learn how to receive it instead of trying to get it. Father, I ask you to use this and that people would experience that same overwhelming love of God flowing in their life. And Father, I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.